0: What's up, 26ers? Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Felicia, and today's episode features Ashley Wisdom. Ashley is the Assistant Director of Grants Management at New York City Health and Hospitals, and she's also the founder of healthinherhue.com. By day, Ashley juggles a number of responsibilities related to grant funded projects within the largest public health care system in the United States. And in her spare time, Ashley runs Health in Her Hue, which is a digital platform that connects Black women to the healthcare providers, services, and resources resources that are committed to their health and well-being. Now, in doing my research for this show, I learned a staggering statistic Every day, 137 Black women die from heart disease, a disease that is largely preventable. Ashley and I spent some time talking about this and, among other things, how we sisters can get on the road to optimal health emotionally, mentally, and physically. We also discussed her personal journey into therapy as someone who grew up in an ultra-conservative, ultra-Christian household. Yes, family, we're once again addressing how church and therapy are not mutually exclusive. In any case, Ashley is a well- of knowledge, and I'm glad she took the time to share some of it with us. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy. Ashley, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well. Thanks for coming in and sitting down to chat with me. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Let's jump right into it. Who is Ashley Wisdom?
1: So Ashley is a writer, public health professional, challenger, a follower of Jesus, and by virtue of that, a challenger of the status quo.
0: I like that because most people talk about Jesus, yes, but then Um, they- kind of go into conformity and just spewing what it is that they've heard their entire lives, but not thinking about spirituality and Christianity within the context of challenging the status quo and asking questions and being okay asking questions. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to get ahead of myself. We we (laughs) will get there as well. But let's start with your day job. So you work in public health. What does that mean exactly?
1: So I work at New York City Health and Hospitals, which is the largest public health system in the country. And I specifically work in the Office of Population Health. So my office, they do a lot of research and work to see how the hospital system can best serve um, our patients. Mm -hmm. And our patients, a lot of them are underserved. Some of them don't have health insurance, but we don't deny anyone care. So anyone in New York City who needs access to healthcare can come to health and hospitals. And so the Office of Population just um, helps the system better serve its its patients. And so I specifically am the Assistant Director of Grants Management and Development. So I help manage budgets in the department. And another um, another part of my responsibility is to find funding opportunities to continue to advance the work that the Office of Population Health
0: does. So when you say grants management. Mm-hmm. I how are you guys getting money? Because clearly it's not from those patient bills, right? Mm-hmm. That you're, you're helping those who are underserved and maybe below the poverty line. So you're managing grants from where? So one of the grants that we get comes
1: from the Department of Health. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, that grant specifically is funding to do work that advances um, the public health or the health of um, the patients who are most in need. So people who have chronic disease, we are trying to target those so people who have like d- diabetes, um, heart disease, those that that funding is specifically towards doing initiatives that will help address those um, health issues.
0: And what drew you to this space? I mean, it doesn't sound like an area where somebody stands up in sixth grade and says, I want to be in public health. Like right. that, That's not really how that goes normally. So what got you to this point?
1: So I initially wanted to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while I was at Howard, was going through the motions of being a pre-med student and then I had a come to Jesus moment um, when I was taking organic chemistry that I realized <laughs> this is really not what I want to do. It was one of those classes It was just like, you know, I can do this. I can pass this class, but I'm going through all this hardship. Is this really what I want to do? And I came to realize that I was really pursuing being Dr. Wisdom more so than I wanted to actually like be in a clinical space. And so I had invested so much time trying to be a doctor and I really cared about health. You know, I was really passionate about healthcare, but more so on like the policy side. And when I finally came to that realization or, you know, my first job is what opened my eyes to the the world of public health, I realized there's This whole other realm of healthcare that I can still affect change in that doesn't necessarily need to be face to face with a a patient. And so Mm -hmm. that's how that happened.
0: I feel like organic chem is like the come to Jesus moment for a lot of pre med turned Mm -hmm. other people Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I meet. Listen, science, that is not my strong (laughs) suit. So uh, I probably wouldn't have even made it that far. So, what was your first job outside of school?
1: So, my first job was actually as a grant writer for a nonprofit health center um, because I'm a writer. Um, first. And so I'm like, OK, how do I merge being my passion for writing along with my passion and interest in healthcare? And so I'd applied for the job, had no experience as a grant writer, mm-hmm. but I had, you know, I have that skill set and they took a chance with me. And that's um, kind of how it happened. And then that's I saw this whole other aspect of healthcare that really drew my interest and then it led me to want to pursue
0: my master's of public health. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about grant writing a little bit because yeah. people hear that term and they they think free money mm-hmm. like and I've had people come up to me thinking as a lawyer that I have like I'm the plug on where to find <laughs> money and they're like I, I want to get a grant for something I'm like uh-huh. that's not my space it's not you know those those law and grants are not interchangeable um but it's not what people think it is it's not mm-hmm. like you know you see those infomercials where it's like order this book and you can find out you know the millions of grants that are available from the government and get one and right. it, it's not that simple what does grant writing really mean
1: so it entails finding founding there are lots of foundations there for almost anything that you need money for. Um, And I think that that's the thing that people hear that they just don't really know how to go about doing that. So that's a process in and of itself is finding foundations and funding opportunities that align with your specific need Mm -hmm. and that takes work. So it's um, so I have access to fortunately access to the foundation center and anyone actually has access to it but my office is literally right down the block from it. Mm -hmm. And so it's basically a repository or you know a, a resource for people who are looking for foundations that align with their their funding needs. Um, and so if you know how to strategically look for those foundations that have um, priorities in whatever your funding area is, you can then reach out to them and um, look into what a grant proposal entails, which is a lot. So have, <laughs> it is, because you have to understand what your need is and you have to be able to, um, you know, really give a, a compelling case for why it is that you need the money to do what it
0: is that you're trying to do. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. do you feel like in this space, do you feel that pressure? Like, I'm going to do all this work. And then what if we're not awarded the grant? Yeah.
1: I mean, that's it's hard because I'm like managing budgets. And then I also have to balance looking for other opportunities to advance the work that my office is doing. Um, So there are times when I'm like, OK, what if you put in all the work, you do the research, you help um, whoever it is that's looking for a grant, write the grant only to not get it funded. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always a, a fear. And it's a reality that, you know, maybe your funding your proposal is just not in alignment with what the foundation is trying to, to prioritize at that time. So it is always, a concern and a burden but that's like that's just part of the job.
0: Yeah. So you're in a space where on a space, right, mm-hmm. it's like, this is awesome access to health care for people who might not be able to afford it. But one of the, the things that is always up for debate um, and people are always talking about is the fact that people don't have access to, to health care. Right. So do you think that there's work, particularly in New York, since we're here, mm-hmm. that can be done to advance that mission? So I think access to healthcare is one part of a, of
1: a much larger problem. Mm-hmm. So we have New York City it's fortunate to have a healthcare system like we do, where um, we have different sites, community health centers and public health systems like New York City Health and Hospitals that will serve you and give you health care regardless of your, you know, whether or not you're you have insurance coverage. The issue is that there are other things. So it's like being able, a lot of people work, um, a lot of low-income people work at jobs where they just don't have the freedom to take off from work mm-hmm. to go and you know go to a doctor's appointment. So when you think about, okay, hey, like I feel a cold, do I take off? From from work and like miss out on hours because right. um, I got to pay my rent? Or do I just keep pushing through and then you find yourself sick and having to go to the emergency room? Um, so I think just in general, there needs to be more to address the root causes um, that hinder people from getting the, the health care that they need. Aside from just having access, mm-hmm. it's like, OK, even if you don't have health insurance in New York City, you can go to a hospital and get care. You can go to an ER if you're like really feeling sick. But is the ER the most um, appropriate place for you to be going? for care and why is it that you had to wait until you got really sick to go and seek care. Um, so I think that in, in public health there's a term for um, there's this buzzword called the social determinants of health. So there are these social factors that impact our health care aside from things like health insurance. Um, so if you are born into and I'm getting on my, my public health um, go for it <laughs> field, but if you were born in a certain neighborhood and you're around certain, you know, you basically you're you only have access to certain types of schools, that then impacts whether or not you go to college. Right. Right. Um, and then if you go to college, if you do go to college or don't go to college, it determines whether or not you get a job and what kind of job you'll have. And the type of job you have impacts whether or not you have the health benefits. And so um, we have all these different social factors that impact our health outcomes that are so much deeper than right. just being able to go to, you know, go to a doctor's office. And so it's like, how do we before we even get to there, like, how do we address those real issues that are hindering people from even being able to like get health insurance as a basic thing? Um, so those are those are some of the things that I think New York City or just in general, the country mm-hmm. needs to think about. is like, what are the social factors that are impacting people's health? Um, and it can't just be about focusing on giving people health insurance. That is a significant part of the problem. Right. But what are the factors that are causing people to not even be able to get health insurance coverage?
0: And do you ever think when you're sitting and writing these grants and working within that infrastructure, do you feel that frustration? Like, I'm only trying to answer or solve one part of the solution and knowing that these other underlying issues affect our communities mm-hmm. significantly more than others that don't look like like us often do you feel that frustration
1: absolutely um i'm fortunate to be in a space where a conversation like the office that i work in we and our meetings we're having conversations mm-hmm. about this so you know what are the things that our patients what are the other things that our patients are concerned about you know you tell a patient that they need to well, eat healthy food but they don't have housing right they're more focused on trying to keep a Roof over their head than they are trying to find like tomatoes and and lettuce. Um, and so we're having conversations like that in the space that I'm in. And so even though my specific work I feel at times isn't really directly impacting people, mm-hmm. um, I when we have those meetings and I see the bigger picture and I see the work that we're doing collectively as a team, um, I think we are getting to those. Real issues, the root issues, the root causes of why people are having, why there are so many health disparities, um, especially amongst people who who look like who look like right. us.
0: And food deserts are real. Mm-hmm. I just want to want to say that they access are. to healthy food is not in every community. Right. It's just not, and I think sometimes people oversimplify and say, you know, why are you eating processed foods? You know, why are you not making better choices? Mm-hmm. Not realizing that a either those choices are not readily available and within reach or B, the cost disparity exactly. between processed foods and things that are quick mm-hmm. and what have you if you're on a limited budget versus organic right. asparagus or tomatoes. like
1: And some of us don't even know what those foods right. foods are. Mm-hmm. So you see asparagus and some people may have never, that wasn't cooked in right. your household. So you see it, someone's telling you that it's healthy, but you don't even know what to do with it. Right. And so that's even a whole other world that I like, I'm even very interested in is mm-hmm. like, how do we create Culturally engaging conversations um, with people about how to even cook healthy food, right? Because access is one thing, and then it's like, okay, if you even if you do have access, you you can afford the asparagus. How do you then incorporate that into your into your lifestyle, into your into your home?
0: Absolutely, and you know, people may wonder like why we're having this conversation mm-hmm. on the podcast, but to me, this feeds into this idea of maximizing potential if you're health and well-being is out of whack. How can you ever maximize potential in, in any other area? Exactly. And people also don't realize how certain health issues affect you mentally, be mm-hmm. it just the stress from them or a literal like physiological connection. Um, and it can affect your output as mm-hmm. a person. And not to mention the trauma that we experience from losing those around us prematurely as people of color due to preventable diseases, which we're going to get into a, a little bit. So mm-hmm. um, there, like you said, I, I think there's so many factors and I see a lot of these things where people you know, say to to me, I don't know why I can't just like make things happen and accomplish my dreams. And they, and they're just focusing on one piece of it. But I'm looking at the whole person and saying, okay, as a podcast, we really need to serve 360 degrees and not that right. we're going to be able to dive deeply into everything, but give people something to think about and explore to figure out what healthy and whole looks like for them and what it means to be positioned to really manifest a vision from your best self right. on the physical side as well. So I know you're doing work already to educate, um, Mm -hmm. and, and inspire outside of your main job. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a website, healthinherhue.com. Tell us a little bit more about what that's about. So healthinherhue.com
1: and I'm going to speak a little bit, a little bit about the name. Mm-hmm. So the hue at the end stands for Heard and Understood Experiences, because I think that this is, that's the main issue that I think needs to be addressed when we're talking about in particular, Black women's health. Mm-hmm. So the site Health in Her Hue, um, we, it's a digital platform to connect Black women to the healthcare resources, services, and providers that are committed to their health and well being. And the vision that we have, that I have for the site, um, and I have a team, so that's also why I'm saying we. The vision that we have for the uh, for the site is, and for the brand as a whole, is to really leverage the power of social media and technology to advance Black women's health and wellness, and to be a space to inform Black women about um, and empower them about the how to take care of their health and well-being. Um, because there's just this, we hear all these healthcare disparities, we hear these statistics that talk about Black women just faring worse on so many different health outcomes mm-hmm. compared to to white women and other races and just me being in my public health world and being in class and just hearing that we're at the at the bottom of, as of almost every health outcome. And so I'm like, OK, this is bothersome to me. Um, but what can I what can I do besides just lament on this and and be upset and be frustrated and be aware? And so I decided to um, to create this space for us to have these conversations because I talk about health and stuff with my friends mm-hmm. over brunch. Uh, we talk about well-being and things like that. But I'm like, you know, there should be a space where as Black women, we can come together and have these conversations. Right. Um, and with even also with Black clinicians who we can trust, who look like us, who can, who understand our context and, you know, being Black women in the context of, of America. And so that's what our purpose is, is to really just provide a space for Black women to get culturally engaging
0: health content that's centered around us. So how many people do you have on your team right now? It's three of us. Three. OK, growing. so you're you're managing and how often and are you disseminating content?
1: So we have, it's it's unique, right? So mm-hmm. I love to write, but I'm like, okay, I can't push out content every day. It's a grind, it's, yes. It is. And then I have a nine to five and I love to write, but I'm like, I'm not going to be able to keep this up if I'm just doing it myself. Mm-hmm. So we I've opened it up to having writers, women who are um, just healthcare professionals, so clinicians, public health professionals like myself, women who are therapists, women who are doulas and midwives and um, just black women who have a healthcare story that they want to share, um, because I think that there is power and value in us hearing experiences from other black women. Um, And so that's how the content has been coming in. So just women who are PhDs who are researchers, they'll submit content to the site. And um, I I make sure that I explain to them, I don't want the content to be too academic Mm -hmm. because people aren't going to want to read or engage with their eyes are going to glaze over. Right. And so that's part of the problem. Like there is health information that we need, but your average person is not going to take the time to sit there and read that kind of stuff. So it's like, how do I create content that's accurate, that's informative, but someone will, you know, a Black woman will want to engage with it. And so one of the ways that I try to do that is to use images and make sure that the the language on the site is very accessible mm-hmm. and very relatable. Um, so I'll like use images from pop culture. So images from like Insecure, right. Dear White People, different things that we talk about and engage with as Black women so that it seems like it's just, you know, it's just us. Right. It's not like up here.
0: It's a sister circle exactly. situation online. So let's talk a little bit about those. You mentioned health outcomes mm-hmm. and some people may not know what you mean by that term. So when you say health, health outcomes and Black women are the lowest mm-hmm. in every category, Can Can you expound upon that a little bit? So
1: I'll talk on the one that like is very common right now, maternal health. Mm -hmm. Maternal health is is a great um, indicator of how the healthcare system in a country is working, maternal and infant health. But right now, Black women are three to four times more likely to die in childbirth compared to to white women. Like that is that doesn't have to be the case. And that's the thing that's so problematic. It doesn't have to be the case, but it is the case. And so in in addition to that, so that's that's an example of of Mm -hmm. health outcomes to answer your question. Directly, It's um, just looking at the end results of a health um, factor. And so maternal health is one of those things that we look at to see, like, how are people how are people faring in terms of their health? And so if you're dying three to four more times um, than a white woman doing something as, you know, basic as a woman is giving birth, that's that's something's not right there. And so I'm very passionate about health equity um, because there are I was listening today to something I was talking about, the difference between health disparities and health inequity. Mm-hmm. So health disparities are just like differences in health outcomes. So, you know, there may be differences in how many um, women live or die given childbirth. But why is it that black women are three to four times more likely to die?
0: And that's my my next question. Like, what is driving that disparity? Right.
1: And so those are the conversations that I want us to have. Mm-hmm. And then it goes back to the social determinants of health. What are the social factors that black women are having to deal with that white women don't have to deal with? And that's the thing. The issue in our healthcare system is that. A lot of clinicians or the healthcare system as a whole, they just want to talk about, you know, just like things about health insurance right. and, and stuff like that. But it's like, let's get to the nitty gritty of it. Black women and white women do not have the same life experiences, mm-hmm. point blank. And one of the things that's also very that really was profound to me is that a black woman with a college degree is still more likely to die from in childbirth than
0: a white woman with a high school degree. I saw a documentary on this and was blown away mm-hmm. by that statistic. So your college editor. You have great insurance. Right, right. It's not just about that. And you go in to have this baby and you don't make it home. Mm -hmm. Why is that?
1: It's one of the things that people are talking about now, which I'm glad. I think I forget the researcher's name, but she did this whole um, study on what she calls weathering. So, as Black women, we deal with so many stressors being just Black and our various experiences as being Black women growing up from childhood up until adulthood that we're dealing with, that we're internalizing. And we, you know, because we're dealing with and we're coping because we gotta live, you gotta do what you gotta mm-hmm. do. It's still having an impact on our bodies and it takes a toll on us over time. And it manifests itself a lot of times in moments like e- giving birth. So there's that aspect, like our racial experiences in the context in which we live. But then there's also the way our the way that we interact with our healthcare providers. So there are studies now that talk about the fact that black that clinicians sometimes don't believe our pain. Right. Or they say that um that they're less likely to pr- to treat us for our pain. And I think that that speaks to how providers see our humanity. Cuz mm-hmm. pain is very connected to humanity. Absolutely. If you can't even see that someone or like empathize with their pain, it's because you're not seeing them as a real person. Mm-hmm. Um and so that is, that's an also that's a, that's another factor that I think goes into like why our health co- outcomes are as, you know, different, are as different as they are compared to other races.
0: Yeah, I um remember the episode that they did on Crazy Anatomy which I don't know if you ever watched that show but there was a whole episode written around Miranda Bailey the black Mm -hmm. female doctor on the show who's a physician like chief of surgery at a hospital went to another because she didn't want to go to her employer Mm -hmm. because she knew she was having a heart attack and she was having the symptoms, so the whole episode was about her being ignored Mm -hmm. Um, and finally I mean she ended up you know having this heart attack and survived and everything but the, the episode and the premise and what they were trying to put forth is this idea of black women not being believed mm-hmm. or thinking that we have a higher pain threshold than someone else right. just by virtue of being Black, which I just don't understand, mm-hmm. uh, which I do think is a holdover from eras gone by and, and how we're viewed in society. Right. Um, but I think you brought up a valid point too around, I always say it's, it's just the traumas embedded in our DNA. People mm-hmm. people think, I think the two things at work, one, as a people, we don't often recognize trauma. We can't, we don't call it that. We mm-hmm. call it living, right? We, we Many of us have been through very difficult things. And even if it's not something at a severe level, just the day-to-day racist microaggressions. Oh, yeah. I personally believe that that has an impact oh, yeah. on us. And you you can't talk about it. You're often suppressing who you are, um, not wanting to come across as angry mm-hmm. uh, or aggressive. So not being able to express how something has affected you, all of that, I think, drives your in, internal health as well. So I think, you know, that's part of it. And then also the other part, is um, when we do reach out, not having access or, or having physicians who are willing to work to get to the root of the problem.
1: Exactly. Or, or who just don't get it. Yeah. Who don't understand the context in which we live. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... that that to me is the most frightening. It's like you can have, you can be well-spoken. You can know how to advocate for yourself. But if your provider just doesn't get you and your experiences or there's implicit bias, you know, Mm -hmm. because people sometimes don't want to acknowledge racism and racism isn't always these blatant moments of like, you know, just prejudice. Mm -hmm. It's also like, how do you see someone unconsciously and how are you treating them based on your assumptions of who they are and what they've experienced Experience. And so those are the conversations that I, I feel like healthcare providers need to be having. Right. Um, and I think that those are the conversations that black women need to be having so that we can check our providers when they need to be checked.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: because you're not, I you know, the with Kim Porter dying mm-hmm. recently and even hearing um Serena Williams' story of having to tell her doctor, like, no, I need the CT scan. Mm-hmm. We need to hear more stories like that, where we're advocating for ourselves in our examination rooms, which is unfortunate that we have have to do that. We have to get second and third and fourth opinions because our doctors keep telling us like, no, like nothing's wrong with you. And with the Kim Porter situation, I've been watching, um, I've been looking at Instagram and and different stories that have been tweeting about, um, you know, stories that are talking about that situation. I'm just seeing a bunch of stories where women are saying, you know, like I've gone to the doctor and the doctor told me like nothing was wrong with me. And then I went to the ER and something was really wrong. And so when I see those stories, it just reminds me that the work that I'm trying to do with health in her hue is important um, but it's also very frightening that these current these situations aren't just one-off that they're happening on a regular basis it's systemic and- exactly it's a systemic issue and unless we call things out, we're just going to keep the health system. will just keep, you know, sweeping it under the rug.
0: Right. And I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about our responsibility, mm-hmm. too. Um, in my research for this interview and looking at uh, Health and her hue social media, I came across that statistic that 137 Black women die every single day from heart disease, mm-hmm. which is a preventable disease, which most people think that's just an affliction. Right. Um, it, it is preventable, preventable. So that's, I forget what the number is, one black woman every 11 minutes or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, we have access to more information now. Than we ever have, right? We live in a digital age. So there's a focus on healthy living. There are resources that are available to us. We, A lot of us know now the challenges um, and the, the consequences of eating the way we eat as a people and all those things. Mm-hmm. But the numbers remain the same. So outside of the outside factors, why do you think it's so hard for us as a people to make different choices, even when we have the resources and our- the information to do so?
1: It's it's about lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So I think once you've just gotten accustomed to like being a certain way, eating a certain way, and also, you know, just dealing, I sometimes I think about myself, mm-hmm. um, just being busy and wanting to make time for the gym. Right. It's literally a choice that you have to make to prioritize your health mm-hmm. and your well-being. And Health and Her You has kind of been checking me up and having to like <laughs> hold myself accountable. Like right. you can't be out here telling people to focus and, it, you know, think about your health and prioritize yourself and your health and then you're not doing it. But it's It's hard because especially living in New York, you're always on the go. There's always always something to do. There's something and you feel like you're idle if you're not doing Mm -hmm. something. And it's literally a choice that I've. I've realized that I've had to like make like I have to you want to work out today. You need to bring your gym bag with you mm-hmm. to work. Don't say that you're going to come home because when you come home, you just you start to like unwind. And then next year you're like, oh, I'll go tomorrow. So I think that as women or just people in general that we need to if we have the resources, if we have the information and we know better, it's up to us to really do better mm-hmm. and do the things that we need to do to enable us to do better. Which means for me, like I've been trying to wire myself to wake up at 5 a.m. because I find that you know, in the evenings I'm being pulled to like meetings or, or just exhausted. Calls, right. Or tired. Like people want to go out to this, you know, to this mixer and stuff like that. And so I'm like, okay, my evenings are kind of just all over the place. I can't use that as an excuse to not work out. Mm-hmm. So this means that I need to find myself in bed at a decent hour so that I can wake up at 5 a.m. to get, you know, to start my day off with working, um, working out. And then also like not eating out all the time. Right. Um. You know, like you said, living in New York, you're always on the go. And so you try to just using uber eats postmates (laughs) doordash all of them doing all of that (laughs) stuff and then you wonder why you're not you know you're not feeling as healthy as you should or not you know fitting your clothes the way that Mm -hmm. you used to but if we don't so one of the things that i've done is like okay i i started using um one of those meal plan things so home chef um and it's holding it's holding me accountable because like now i know every tuesday a healthy meal is being delivered to my house that i have to cook so one you need to get home on tuesday so that you can bring it in And also I'm not going to let that food go to waste. So now it's forcing me to have to like cook this meal and eat it. Um, And so it's just like being, I think we have to be intentional Mm -hmm. about prioritizing our health and wellness and not just being cognizant or aware of it, actually doing things, taking the steps that will enable us to do the things that we're trying, you know, that we set ourselves out to do.
0: And I think too, part of being intentional is when you do have access to healthcare, being proactive right. to see where you are. Because I, I will tell you, I'm I'm one of those people who, like, you know, your insurance is like, oh, you get two well adult visits uh-huh. a year. It's like I'm well. Why well, am you know, <laughs> why am I going to get a regular like physical for my you know primary care? But uh-huh. what was earth shadowing to me, personal story, is going and and I went and it wasn't just a well visit because I was feeling kind of tired. But the doctor said, oh, well, let's do a full workup on you and like. Uh-huh. Check out all your numbers. And when that cholesterol came back and that A1C, which for those who don't know, that's oh, your diabetes, diabetes. marker. Um, and I found out that as a 36 year old, relatively healthy woman who tries to eat well, that I was pre-diabetic. Wow. Um, it was an eye opener for me because often we go by outward indicators. Mm-hmm. What's my weight? You know, how do I feel? Is something, does something feel physically wrong with me? Not knowing that many of us start behind the eight ball just by genetics, mm-hmm. by genetics so genetically predisposed to certain things. And, you know, I found out in that moment that like certain lifestyle choices are not an option for me. Like if I don't want to be dealing with these things later, there are certain changes I have to make now. Yeah. And it goes beyond eating and working out. It also goes to stress management and all those things also. So um, I've been telling my girlfriend since then, like, go get your work up, girl. Like figure out what's going on uh-huh. internally, because we often wait until something happens. Somebody right. has a stroke or they didn't realize they were fully diabetic and we're not treated and they end up in a diabetic coma. And then we got to come together and we got to pray. Right. 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 W- without making use of the program proactive measures that we can take to right. find out where the status of our health and cutting something off the path, you know, off at the past when it's just a minor problem before it becomes a major problem.
1: And that's the work of public health. It's mm-hmm. all about preventative care. So what can we do to prevent disease? But instead of being, react, you know, responsive to, mm-hmm. to disease, like what can we do to like prevent that from even happening? And so even with me having all the knowledge and information that I have about health care and healthcare access, I have to remind myself, like, you need to take off time from work to go and just get a physical. Right. But you think of it, you're like, oh, I have this meeting, I have that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really I don't want to have to ask for time, all this stuff. But it's like, no, you know, you have to, you have to do these preventative measures. And Absolutely. it's better to do that than to like have go to the doctor one day mm-hmm. and then get some news that you have a disease that is completely preventable. Right. Um and so I'm I'm glad that these conversations, I think there's been a lot of emphasis lately on mental health mm-hmm. in the black community, which I think is important and necessary because for a long time You know, and and still to this day, there's still this stigma. Just being a black woman who grew up in church, I, it was kind of taboo for me to even say that I was going to therapy. Um, And so I'm glad and grateful that there is this big push for mental health in our community and then on on social media. But I also want us to consider like also, you know, physical health as well, because they it's all it all comes together and it's all all of them are like equally important. So,
0: yeah, one of the things that I often think is wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to pray for healing? because we took right. the steps exactly. to not be in that predicament anyway. I might get in trouble with that statement. Right, But I mean, it's, it's, true. <laughs> no, it's true. It's you, you can't just walk in blind faith and eat whatever you want and mm-hmm. do what you're going to do. And then when something traumatic happens, you want everybody to pray. We'll do that, too. But like, help us out by making wise right. choices when you can. And then I think, too, um, you know, sometimes I've had to remind myself, too, mm-hmm. that like food is an addiction for some people. Right. Yeah. So it's not just, OK, let me make a better choice. It's actually being disciplined and saying no matter what, for my own personal well-being, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. No matter what I feel. And also speaking from the perspective of a black woman, you know, we carry so much and we internalize so much. It's a coping mechanism, I think, all oh, yeah. the time, too. Yeah. You know, food is a happy place and we eat, you know, eat our emotions right. as opposed to talking about it as well.
1: And a lot of times culturally, we do a lot, you know, of sharing and with mm-hmm. breaking bread with one another. Right. So I love going to brunch with my girls because we can catch up on life and stuff like that. But when I'm at brunch, I'm, you know, not eating the healthiest food, but it's a way that we commune with with one another. So Mm -hmm. it's like, how do we, how do we still have these, you know, these things that we love to enjoy and we love and enjoy doing, but if it's coming at the expense of our health or we're not prioritizing our health, even in those moments, what can we do to like shift gears? Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I love going to brunch, but, and I don't want to have to not do that. So like, can I order healthier options when I'm, when I'm at brunch? but I think, you know, to that point, we have these cultural things that we love to do mm-hmm. and social things that we love to do that I think in turn, you know, in turn, they affect our health. And we need to think of ways that like, you know, like how is my lifestyle contributing to my health right. or Absolutely. the detriment of my health? And what can I do to shift gears to make, you know, to still make for the things that I enjoy doing mm-hmm. but in a way that's not going to be detrimental
0: to me ultimately. absolutely and I think we're all a work in progress yeah. I mean I got those numbers and doc was like you should be at the gym five to seven days a week and I was just like who had who has and some... I know that people <laughs> do it but I'm like the way my schedule is set up at the gym five to seven days a week for a full workout every time like how's that supposed to work so we're trying to figure that out uh-huh. so you know I'm not speaking from a high horse like <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to work this out right as well um but I think that that leads to the next point that I want to make is that often I'm just going to speak to black women, continue on that, that uh, narrative. We're often the last on our list. Right. And this goes for, you know, I know people say that about people who are wives and mothers, but I talk to my single friends who feel the same way in that they're, they're serving in the community. You know, they play a certain role in their families right. often church. in church, you know, mentorship, all these things. Many have side passion projects mm-hmm. that they're they're working on, but they do a lot of giving and they do all of that first. Many are impasse by nature and they're pouring out and they're nurturing Mm -hmm. without filling their own cups. And before you know it, all of the problems are interconnected. The you know the the mental uh, well being, the physical well being, the emotional well being. And um, I talk to Black women all the time who say, "I've just had enough. Hmm. Like I don't know where to go from here. I just can't get it together. I can't take a step." So now they're at that that brink, um, and which is heartbreaking, mm-hmm. right? To hear. And and if you've been there, and knowing a little bit of your story from having read online, you you, you are the one that has to make a decision to get right. help for sure. But what do you think is an initial step when somebody is there, a Black woman is feeling left of center, for lack mm-hmm. of a better term, in some area of health in her life, if not all, what's the first step that they can take to start to move in the right direction?
1: I would say, and I'm, sp- I'm speaking from my experience, mm-hmm. um, and, and I'll add a caveat to it because I understand that everyone's experience mm-hmm. and situation is different. But for me, one of the things that I like, I have a strong, close-knit group of friends, mm-hmm. and that has always been centering for me. And so I have an amazing support system. And I think if any Black woman, if you have access to that, that's the first step. Because sometimes you can't even see objectively the things that you're dealing with and right. experiencing. And so if you have people in your life who love you and who also see your world, Absolutely. they can be some of the, you know, the first people to point out things that you might need to to start prioritizing and focusing. So I think like tapping into our support system, because mm-hmm. um, that's one of the main things that we have, even if we don't have like, Money, absolutely. Um, insurance, like tapping into whatever support system you have, and starting there. Um, and then from there, it's like okay, once you or just sitting down with yourself and really trying to get down to the to the root of whatever it is is causing mm-hmm. the you know the unsettleness and if that's even a word unsettleness in your in your life. Um, and that's that's the work that I did. So I like tapped into my support system, but also I had to really sit down and reckon with if you're not happy, if you're like stressed and you're you're like going through it, you have to do something. Mm-hmm. And so you have to sit down and like pinpoint what are the things that you're dealing with and figure out what you can reprioritize, what you have to do to get yourself out of whatever rut that you're in.
0: And you, you wrote an article, um, kind of segue right into that, uh-huh. called Therapy is for Church Girls Too. And I wanted to like mail an offering <laughs> as soon as I saw the... The headline because you know you alluded to it earlier that it is getting better but Mm -hmm. there still is this taboo and we bring it up on the show every chance we get we're just huge advocates of having a safe space Mm -hmm. um to work through your issues um but there within the church world I think we're even even farther behind the the eight ball and and you grew up like Pentecostal yeah so you grew up hardcore like Like, real churchy (laughs) church church yeah right Mm -hmm. so in that environment you know it's about you know deliverance just you know pray it out and. If anything, if you need to talk to somebody, go to pastoral Or find the
1: altar. Yeah, like, right. Talk to (laughs) the pastor,
0: maybe, who probably is not even equipped to provide (laughs) appropriate psychotherapy in a lot of instances. So what prompted you to make the decision despite um, those cultural uh, limits, I should say?
1: So I was really, I was going through it and I didn't even really realize that I was going through it because I pride myself in... (sighs) handling stress really well. Yeah. And the thing that frightened me was, so I was working full time. And on top of working full time, the department that I was working in was very toxic, mm-hmm. just a toxic space. And then I was in grad school full time. And then very involved. Like I grew up in the church. So I'm like still involved in the church. Um, and it was just a lot. And I was breaking out in highs almost every single day. I
0: know about that.
1: And I was like, what, what is happening? Like I, I've never really dealt with allergies. I am I was going to the allergist Trying to get to the bottom of it like is it something I'm Eating is it something that I'm using Nothing and it was my roommate that was like You know girl you are really doing a lot like mm-hmm. Do you think it's stress related I'm like I'm fine like I'm doing school I'm Working like I don't feel depressed I'm Able to like function and do everything every Day so I don't think it's like I'm as far as I knew, I was handling the stresses of work and school fine. fine getting Cause I, it done. Right. Because mm-hmm. I wasn't waking up feeling, you know, like melancholy. It was just like, OK, this is annoying, but I got to just push through it. And then like, what? So then I really start to think about the hives. And I'm like, all right, something is happening here. The doctor can't really pinpoint what it is. And one of my my co-workers, she was talking to me about going, like the fact that she goes to therapy. And so I'm just like, you know, I've been thinking about doing it. But the same thing, I'm like, I pray, like, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> and Jesus when I talk to God, you know, God, I feel good. Like mm-hmm. I, when I get off my knees or when I'm like in my bathroom and I'm talking to God, like I always feel good. I feel like I've gotten this second win, So like I'm good on that. Mm-hmm. And then my coworker was talking to me about going to therapy during her lunch break. And so really, I was like, you know, let me give it a try. Let me see what
0: what the hype is. So I like look for a therapist and that's work in and of itself. Oh, my God. It's like trying to find <laughs> the right job. to right. Find a Right. Oh, especially if you want a black therapist.
1: It is. So the first therapist that I went to, she was amazing but she did not accept insurance, mm-hmm. and it was like one hundred seventy four dollars a session. And I was like, "Sis, like this is
0: this, this is was amazing, cool, but, but yeah. I
1: can't I can't afford one seventy four upfront mm-hmm. every week." Um, so I found a provider who, um, was. Black and she was a Christian and she took my insurance. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, good. Like, let's go and see what's up. So I went and I've been going consistently. And granted, I got myself out of that toxic work environment. I graduated from grad school. Mm-hmm. I have not broke and I started going to therapy. I have not been breaking out in hives mm-hmm. anymore. Um, but that process in and of itself, um, it was just like really eye opening for me. And so it took a moment of me having a near breakdown. Like I, right. I talked about in the article where I just had this moment where I was coming home from school late at night. um, And I was I live in the Bronx, like way up in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. And I was coming from all the way down in the village because I was going to NYU. And I'm like, it's like nine o'clock. And I'm just like, God, like this is a lot. Right. Like it was like my come to Jesus moment of like, you're really doing a lot. Mm -hmm. Like you wake up in the morning, you go to work and then you you shoot from work straight to class and then you get home at 11. You still got schoolwork to do. Right. And you got to wake up and do it all over again. And so like when I had them, I'm like, you actually are doing a lot. Like you don't give yourself enough credit for the work that you're doing and like every time people are like how do you do I'm like it's God and I mean it really is (laughs) but it's also me like physically waking up every day and like being diligent and doing the work and it was taking a toll on me and so when I had them A real moment of realization, I like broke down and started crying. I was like, I have a whole semester left of this. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it, God. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. And so that's what really that with my coworker talking to me about therapy is what really made me take the step to look into to getting finding a therapist Mm -hmm. myself. And it has been helpful, but I still was feeling guilty. Yeah. I was like, you know, like, am I, is God not enough? I talked to my mother about it. And she was like, don't be telling people that you go to therapy. Like,
0: <laughs> keep that on
1: the low. Right? Right. And I'm just like, ma, like, I'm going, like, I need, she's like, no, we, you don't have any problem. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just
0: life. Don't speak that over your life. Right. She's right. like,
1: now you have a file at a i ther- I'm like, it's really not.
0: Why do people <laughs> talk about a therapy <laughs> file as if like, you're never going to be able to get a job again or. Right.
1: I'm like, if anything, I'm making myself healthier right. to be somebody's employee. Employee, to be someone's sister, you know, partner. Mm-hmm. Like I'm doing the work. And that, that was what has been so refreshing to me. Is that I'm doing the work to make myself healthier. Right. And a better person overall. And that's what keeps me pushing. Absolutely. Do you think faith
0: has crippled us as the, the church body?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, saints might not be
0: happy. With They're us. not, but it's fine. <laughs> we can be real on this show.
1: But I think sometimes people get so wrapped up in faith that they forget that there's the work that also needs to go along mm-hmm. with it. Um, Um, And so the Bible even says that faith without works is dead. dead. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting here praying and crying and talking to God about like, oh, this is so hard. Like I'm dealing with a lot. What do you what's the work that you're doing in addition to talking to me and bringing your burdens Mm -hmm. to me? What is the work that you're doing to try to handle everything that you're handling? Right. And I can't even say balance because it's not even really a balancing act. It's a shifting of priorities. A, you know, you're constantly moving things around and having to say, look, look, I got to pause on this right now so, because I need to prioritize that. Um, and so I think the church needs to just sometimes, we, you know, we get so caught up in faith that we forget that there's still a certain level of, you know, pragmatism that we need to have. Right. Like we should pray. We should have faith. I'm not discounting that because that has been vital to my, you know, my success to date. But at the same time, like there is a work that goes along with faith that we need to talk about Candidly, on, candidly, honestly, and just,
0: you know, realistically. Absolutely. And I think, too, as with anything else, you have to find the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. So someone who understands culturally and spiritually where you are and what you're your values are. Nobody's saying you got to go to a therapist who dismisses how you feel about God, the right. presence of God in your life or your faith or how that plays a role in how you make decisions, how you live your life. Nobody's saying that. You find someone that is aligned exactly with a similar value system or at least can attest to or speak to some of the things that you're experiencing in the lens through which you see the world. I think that's yeah. important. And it's not always going to it's not one size fits all. Like, right. It really is. not You know, and it's and you can make a new choice once you go to one therapist and say, you know, what this is not quite. It's not. Work working for me. me. The first time I went to therapy, I had a great therapist Mm -hmm. and someone who was spiritually grounded and really understood how that played a role in my life. She's the one that said to me, you know, we were sort of like coming to a natural end and it made sense and I Mm -hmm. was feeling great. And she said, you know, people go to therapy at different points in their lives and It's my hope that the next time you go, you find a black therapist because she wasn't. She wasn't black. And she said, you know, because there are certain things related to your experience that I will never be able to understand or relate to. Wow. And for somebody who's being paid to say that to me and acknowledge that limitation was very powerful for Mm -hmm. for me and opened my eyes to the idea that it is important to be able to sit down and talk to someone. When you say, you know, I was praying to God and like, I know he has it, but um, I'm hitting a rock bottom in the process. Who can understand that and not dismiss it? Exactly. Well, and say, well, that was that was your first mistake, you know, uh-huh. putting all this in God's hands. So I think people just need to understand finding someone that they're comfortable with, but going to a therapist does not mean you don't have faith.
1: It does not. <laughs> it really doesn't. And if anything, like I and I talk about in Arnold that I had this moment in therapy that really just was like the last layer of guilt mm-hmm. that just was like just dropped off of me. Um and re- you know, I just felt this relief. I really appreciate the fact, because I deal with it like, and this is something we also need to talk about. This the fact that like sometimes we deal with a lot of stuff. If you grew up in the church and you're a church kid, mm-hmm. you you deal with stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. Especially yes.
1: as a woman growing mm-hmm. up in the church in a, in a very conservative, right. you know, tradition. Um, We deal with stuff that people who aren't, don't understand that context won't be able to address. So I, it has been liberating for me to be able to talk through some of the things that I've gone through, the traumas that I've experienced just growing up in the church right. as a, a young black woman. And um, so there's that. But then also, so, so I was talking, I was dealing with that stuff in therapy. And then there was one point where I was talking to my therapist and I was told, you know, I feel, I feel overwhelmed with the expectations that are being put on me at my church. Mm-hmm. And whenever I try to take a step back, people think that I'm like, you know, this is a church turn backsliding. Yes. You, you're on your way out the door, <laughs> right? Like she's she, she falling
0: she astray. Don't, yes. She don't
1: want to sing on the choir no more. Like what's she, <laughs> she doing? She, you know, she out here. And that's not necessarily the case. Like I remember telling my pastor, like I can't, I can't do certain things. Mm-hmm. And like he Understood, and he stopped putting me on the calendar. But I remember him coming to me like, "Is it really because of school, <laughs> <laughs> or is it something else?" And and sometimes, you know, there are spiritual battles that we are dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in the in the space of church, sometimes we don't even feel comfortable being honest and candid about our spiritual struggles. And so therapy has been a space for me to even wrestle with that stuff. Um, And those are things that I should be able to talk to uh, my pastor about, Mm -hmm. but I just don't always feel comfortable. Um, And so therapy has been a space for me to deal with just my, my experience growing up in the church. And then also my experiences and struggles dealing with my relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And um, I think a lot of women who grew up in the church and men also could really benefit from having that space where you can wrestle with your face. Right. And I know that that's taboo to -hmm. to speak about, but like all of us have questions. Absolutely. And the more educated you are, the more that you begin to think critically and having to balance your intellectual side with your spiritual side. And, you know, like, is this what God wants for me? Is it not what he wants for me? It is what I feel like it is what he wants for me, but I don't really want to do that. Mm -hmm. How do I reconcile that struggle? And therapy has been that space for me where I've been able to like do that work. And it's because I was able to find a therapist who aligns with my belief system. Right. And, you know, and, and I think that that's what I needed in this moment in life. And who knows? Like you said, um, you know, sometimes you find therapists later on mm-hmm. in different stages of life that more that will align with the interests or not interests, but the, the things that you're dealing
0: with in that moment. Yeah. And I think it's not blasphemous to question. It isn't. Because if we're honest, a lot of it just don't add up. I mean, I'm just going to say it like it's like, OK, you know, you told me this and I'm supposed to take it as law. This but is what I've been hearing my entire life, but it's not quite working for me right now. And it's that is it's very taboo to mm-hmm. ask the questions and mm-hmm. you will get shut down um, in a lot of spaces. But I think it's important to have those internal dialogues and get to the point where it's OK to say I don't have the answers and I don't know. And I think that's where faith kicks in for mm-hmm. some of us. Like, OK, I, I you know, it doesn't always equal two for me one and one. But for me, this is what works and figuring out. How to move through life in a healthy way, exactly, um, in spite of the questions, because I don't think they're they're always answered. And also just like, right. you know, we're as sick as our secrets. So just being able to say things out loud to someone without judgment. Mm-hmm. And they, it's so funny because they talk about this file, like somebody's going to have a file on you. I'd rather that file be there than when some of these <laughs> folks at the church. So
1: <laughs> that's just right. I'm no, saying, I'm like, <laughs> I'd rather my stuff be in this file than to be out here like spewing out my issues on other people mm-hmm. and not dealing with my stuff in a healthy way. Because a lot of folks in the church can do well with the therapy session. I mean. And there'll be less <laughs> It's a lot <laughs> of dysfunction. Problems. Yes. Um in the church of <laughs> folks were doing the work that, that that God needs them to do to be effective in ministry. And so I I was I am proud of myself mm-hmm. for, for making that choice. And I really, you know, I wrote that piece because I know that there are many other people that like are dealing with struggles right. but just can't overcome that hurdle of, you know, just reconciling the fact that you can have faith but also need a professional, need Absolutely. professional health. And um, I think it's an important conversation that needs that needs to be had. Right.
0: And people, I mean, I'll put this caveat on it. You may feel worse before you feel better. Yeah. Because it's yeah. a lot of internal digging and it's excavating, you know, it's often decades of stuff that has never been addressed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, it was important to figure out like why I make the decisions that I do or why I react mm-hmm. in certain ways. And a lot of that stuff goes back to experiences that I could barely remember when I first started therapy. So mm-hmm. you're unpacking all this stuff. And with uh, unpacking the memories comes unpacking the pain, and then somebody looks at you and says, "Well, our fifty minutes are up. Yeah, so I uh, I gotta go, home
1: <laughs> I gotta go home and
0: sit with this for another week or what have uh-huh. you until I see you again." So it's not an easy process. As with anything that you're right. trying to attain, it's going to be work. So right. you know, to all you church folks listening, if you do actually go, <laughs> know that it's going to be a bit painful and difficult, but it's worth it.
1: It is. It's so worth it. And um, I would even just add that, like I remember recently, my therapist was telling me that you know, if you want a different outcome, you got to mm. plant a different Right. And so that, that for me has been just eye And I, I know it sounds very cliche, mm-hmm. but when you start to see patterns in your life and you're like, I'm better than this. Like, right. you know, I'm better than this. Like, why does this keep happening? And in that moment, I was just like, okay, like I, I got to do something different. Right. And I'm a very self-aware person. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to recognize when I'm doing things that don't really align with what I'm saying that I right. want to do or be, or don't align with who I desire to be. But sometimes you get stuck in just recognizing it mm-hmm. and not taking the next step to plant that different seed so you can have a different outcome. And that if I had to sum up what therapy has been for me in this season of my life, it's recognizing that if you notice patterns, there's work that you need to do to shift things. Exactly. If you want a different if you want a different outcome.
0: And the therapist is not there just to validate your experience, which they will, but they will call you out on your responsibility. Exactly. Because in a lot of these situations, the common denominator Is is you. So why does this lesson, you know, lesson keeps coming until you learn it. Exactly. So if it's coming around over and over and over again, there's something that you need to acknowledge and work on first. Mm -hmm. You know, self-perception, introspection, and then the outside world shifts in response to what you do. Um, So tell me, you've you've spoken a lot about that experience of going to therapy um, and and the outcomes there. But tell me about another time when Mm -hmm. you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day.
1: So I would say there was so there was this moment in life and Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll keep it brief, but I started... Before I ended up in NYU for my MPH, I started my master's program at this school in Westchester County, um, New York Medical College. And no shades, the medical school, but their public health program was a little iffy, but okay. I really wanted to get my master's degree. And I was working and living upstate at the time. I'd just come home from, from being at Howard. So I got my first job up there and I was like, I want to apply to NYU. I want to apply to Columbia. But there was no way for me to commute from upstate New York and do a program in the city. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all right, but I still want this master. So I'm going to apply to this school. I got into the school and essentially um, to keep the story short, the professor, this professor, like wrong, like she fails me for a course and she should not have fails me. And so part of, because she fails me, I also got removed from the school. Removed? Yes. So I got an email that was like, you know, we had to, you know, you're no longer a student here because you failed this class. And I had, fortunately, I had all the receipts that mm-hmm. I needed to prove that like this woman gave me this F and I really should have gotten this grade. And so I tried to fight it and of course the school was trying to defend the professor and all that stuff, you know. And it was my first time really seeing how how and I'm not going into the details of the situation for because of time, but like it was my first time releasing really how institutional racism works. Right. And so I was like, thank God I peeped game and I like kept all my like had I your had,
0: evidentiary. Support, right. I had yes.
1: screenshots of my grades, everything. So I was able to fight. You know, I was going through all the different rounds to fight the to fight the grade um, and to have it change. And then it got to the point it got to this final point where I like was reaching out to the dean and I said, look, according to your school policy, I need to have an ad hoc committee review this
0: entire situation. So you had to tell the dean. What I had the to tell them, I, had,
1: I went on the school website and I was like, "Look, y'all, <laughs> y'all not doing me like this." You were
0: like, "Listen, under section seven, literally, Roman numeral two, yes,
1: literally, that's what I did." And so they were forced. And I told them, "I was like, look, I was speaking to NAACP, like I was going through all the rounds because the yeah. school had a history of just treating students of color a certain way." And so when it got to that point, they, their ad hoc committee was this new faculty member who um, scheduled time to meet with. So I had to take off time from work. Mm-hmm. And this is the day. So I took off time from work, found my best suit. You were ready. And <laughs> drove up to Westchester. And I met with this woman, had all my receipts. She asked me questions. I had everything that I needed to back it up. And she was looking at me and she's like, you know, like everything you're saying adds up. And so for me, like whenever I'm like in a moment where I have to like defend myself, mm-hmm. I tend to get very emotional and cry. Right. And because I'm like, this isn't fair. But the extra nor- e- extraordinary aspect of that day was like it was my first time realizing. I'm like, you have to advocate for yourself.
0: Absolutely. Which
1: means you need to be strong, which means you need to bold. You need to be polite and professional, but you really need to come out of this meeting getting what you need. So we went through the whole realm. You know, we went through everything. We had conversation and then she like shook my hand and I looked her dead in the eye and I said, look, I know you have to go back to your colleagues and I understand how things work in academia. It's very political, but I need you to tell them that if they don't do, if they don't handle the situation ethically, that this will not be the end. And she looked at me in my eyes, she patted me on the back and she was like I can see the
0: seriousness <laughs> she's like you playing and you, no she game." she's like
1: you're not playing games she's like I hear you and I will make sure that I relay this to them and then two weeks later I got a letter from the school saying that you know my grade was changed mm-hmm. and that I was reinstated in the sc- um, into the school in good standing I said great we're gonna frame this letter but I also contacted the um, their office and, and withdrew from the school <laughs> the same day I was like okay you're like, thank you Change for clearing my, my name but I'm out but take my name you're not getting any more of my coins and um I just remember going through that that situation and being like, God, like, why are you putting me through this? You know I want this master's degree. Mm-hmm. You helped me get into this program. What is the issue? And a year later, I ended up being at NYU, which is the school that I really wanted to be in um, in general. And so I was just like, you know, it was a long ordeal, but it was a moment in time where I had to like just really advocate for myself. And as a Black woman, you know, that can be the reason why I found myself in the predicament was because I challenged the professor on something. Mm -hmm. And so it was her way of trying to get back to me, get back at me. And so, you know, as Black women, we have to like speak up for ourselves, but in a way that doesn't come across as being too aggressive. Yes.
0: We have to censor ourselves in a way and temper how we deliver a message
1: even when you're right because mm-hmm. I had all the receipts in the world and they were still looking at me in my face and telling me no and so that was a time where I really like realized how resilient I am mm-hmm. and just really having to just having a good practice because I know life is going to throw, gonna throw much more stuff at me um but it was like just a moment of really just growing and right. seeing that life isn't always going to be fair but in those moments you have to really just like buckle down and and just advocate for yourself and that that moment in and of itself is what really made me realize how passionate I am about justice mm-hmm. and and pursuing justice in all in
0: all matters. Absolutely. And I think the lesson here is, you know, like our grandparents used to say, you got to stand flat footed. And I never really knew what that meant <laughs> until I became an adult and in situations where you want to just say this is not fair. Right. right. But. That is not an adequate response. And I have this conversation with people all the time, people that, you know, I try to mentor or younger or coming up. You're going to be unfairly targeted. Mm -hmm. Outcomes are not always going to be in your favor through no fault of your own. People will retaliate just by virtue of you showing how intelligent you are Mm -hmm. or the fact that you know something they do not know. Mm -hmm. People like for black people especially to stay in their place. Mm, and when you mm. stand up, you know, and your shoulders are back and you're like, "I'm going to have to disagree with you there." They take that's offense to that. Right. Um, but when the blowback happens, you have to remember to take a moment and say, "Okay, let me not react out of emotion," or in the alternative, "Let me not just shut down," because that's the other thing exactly. people do. You know what? This isn't working. You got it. Fine. I'll take the L on this. But being willing to say no, like I'm going to fight this. and I'm going to fight it in an intelligent way. Exactly. In a way where you can't write me off as crazy mm-hmm. or defensive or emotional, but like I'm coming with the receipts and you're going to listen to me. And if you don't want to resolve it internally through your administrative process, then we can go public with Exactly. This. More people have to be willing to do it from that point of view. And it, it's still unfair. The whole thing is unfair. And it's exhausting. It's taxing. And it's, it's just... taking your time. It's costing you time and resources. Mm-hmm. Nobody's saying it's correct, but it happens and you have to deal with it from a level
1: Exactly. And that's so that was that moment in time for me. That's a great story.
0: Oh, I love that you won, too. That just made especially right. as a lawyer. That makes me feel good. I
1: still got the letter and I, <laughs> I mean to like frame it. It's still tucked away someplace, but I'm going to frame it because it was a moment in life. where I was just like, you really fought for yourself. Right. And I just kept thinking, like, you know, there are going to be other times in life where things are going to be thrown at you. But also there are going to be students who are coming after you and you need to let them see that they can't just treat students right. of color like this. And that they'll just like, you know, because they're banking on you just feeling like. Like intimidated right. by them as an institution. I said, nope, right. especially
0: because I have the receipts. I'm really about to. You were lie. ready. I You're was ready. ready. Guns <laughs> loaded. You're about to call Reverend Al.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> I was. I was. So tell me what's on the horizon for Ashley Wisdom, for Health and Her Hue and all of your other endeavors.
1: So I'm really in the next year, I really want to take the digital platform to the, to the next level mm-hmm. and not just have written content, but also have video content and just creating a space for black women to have Candid conversations about some of the, mm-hmm. the topics that we talked about today. And in a very informal but informative way. And I think I'm, i wanted to generate conversations in a broad on a broader scale. So that's what I'm hoping to do with Health and Her Hue. Just Ashley in general. Um, I really want to get back down and in, in buckling into my writing because I realize that people really connect um with the things that I have to say at times, especially mm-hmm. in the context of me growing up in the church and, and being educated and having to reconcile this intellectual side with the spiritual side, there is a need for more conversations like that. And I've just been so busy with other things that I'm trying to do with Health and Her Hue that I haven't really taken the time to like dedicate to writing. And so in the upcoming year, I plan to be more committed to doing that because I believe and God has revealed to me that that is, that's my ministry. Mm -hmm. That he's given me this gift to write, to, to be a storyteller. And what can I, how can I use that to really, you know, help other people to serve
0: other people? That's the biggest thing. But people can find an archive of your writings as well. Well,
1: yes, yes, on growingintowisdom.com, which is my personal blog that has been neglected for some time because of, you know, I've been working mm-hmm. on Health and Her Hue, but I will get my personal content on Growing Into Wisdom going into 2019. People can look out But the that. old content lives forever.
0: So people who haven't read it, it's new, new for them. Yes, that is true. And for the record, Wisdom is Ashley's last name. I already asked that question. <laughs> I just wanted to say it's <laughs> such a great last name. Thank you. It really goes to who you are as a person, spewing mm-hmm. all kinds of knowledge, Thank cultural, you. health, public policy, all that great stuff. I try. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Where can people find you online?
1: They can find me on Twitter at Ashley Wisdom A-S-H-L-E-E um, Wisdom and then on Instagram you can follow Health in Her Hue at um, Health in Her H-U-E Health in Her Hue and that's our yeah, that's our Instagram handle and then the website is healthinherhue.com
0: Awesome. So listen, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I feel like I've been armed with some new knowledge and feel a little bit better equipped yes. to do a better job (laughs) of putting my health first as well. So I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. And to our listeners, make sure you check out Health and Her Hue. I have looked at their website. I've looked at the social media. And not only is it good to see a safe space for women who look like me to be educated and connected with resources, but also it's incredibly informative and eye opening about some of the struggles and things that are specific to us. So make sure you go check that out. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care.